G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the round two review edition of the Footyology Podcast. Another weekend chock full of upsets and surprises and controversy and you name it. It was uh, it was chock full. Um, very good evening to my co-host Mark Fine. Uh, what would you make of it all, Finey? Well, first of all, thank you again to our sponsors, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the best burgers in I think Australia, 80 years old, and Nick Spartel and Hardwick Build Co. Oh, Nick Spartel almost got his Colton over the line. What did I make of the weekend's football? Well, the two supposed basket cases in the AFL may not be St Kilda and Gold Coast. We still have teams that could well be basket cases. And uh, look, I just thought that Collingwood, not that anybody was panicking after that loss to Geelong, but Collingwood showed what that deep midfield can do and impressed a lot on Thursday night. They were great. I'll tell you what else is a basket case. My tipping. Oh, look, you got four this week. I got five. It was a pretty hard week of tipping. I think that'll be... Yeah, but you got six in week one and I got three, I think. Okay, well, (laughs) mid-range this round for both of us. And, gee, you did well if you got winners today on Sunday, anyhow. All right, nine big games to get through in our first segment. Let's waste no time getting into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Rightio, we're going to do this in chronological order, going all the way back, as we'll be doing for a few rounds now, going all the way back to Thursday evening. Big one to start the round and a big win for the Pies. Uh, I guess uh, reaffirming their recent dominance over Richmond, of course, beating them in the preliminary final last year. Big win to the Pies in the finish, 17-8, defeating the Tigers 10-6-66 in front of 70,699. What a shame they couldn't get one more through the gate at the MCG. Um, similar, was it a similar sort of game to the preliminary final? I suspect it was, really. A bit of ruck dominance, certain, certainly midfield dominance, and um, sharper forward setup. I think, was the crux of it. I know a lot of people were... Looking to Mason Cox, he was the hero of the preliminary final win and on face value, maybe nowhere near as good a game, but he was in great touch actually. He kicked an early goal. I thought his marking was excellent. He used his body very well. And How about the snap in the last quarter? I mean, it took us back to the days of big Spider Burton for North Melbourne (laughs) and Frio where a, a large man had smaller men befuddled. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, it's easy to rave about the Collingwood midfield, but uh, Dane Beams played a cracker. And, gee, I mean, you could say he's cream on the top, but it's just a star-studded cast rolling through that midfield now, isn't it? We know that they've got the depth in the midfield. The question is how they blend, and they blended particularly well. Trelaw was his usual power-running self. 
he gets accused of selfishness on occasions, but I just think when somebody breaks the lines, they've got the right to lower the lower the eyes and maybe have a crack at goal. We know Pendlebury was actually very good when the game was hot. Mm. I thought he was important in the first half. Beams was excellent. Back to his best football for Collingwood and at times Brisbane. <clears throat> the two best on the ground, though, I felt were flankers. Dugowie. And Crisp. Yeah. I mean, the, the unaccountability of the Richmond forwards, so famous in their premiership year for applying pressure and keeping the ball in the forward line, was glaring. And whether it was a Daniel Rioli or a Higgins, look, you cannot allow a clever footballer like Crisp a freedom of passage because he doesn't just get the ball. He's a really good pinpoint kick as well. And I thought he set up a lot. Uh, Dugowie is rapidly becoming one of the best Oh, half dozen players in the competition. He is just so dangerous. I wonder if anyone realised he was going to be this good and this sort of player. Apparently North Melbourne did. They offered oh, yeah. him five million for four years. Yeah, did fair, you hear his four-letter response? Uh, what was it? Oh, shit. Yeah. No. Didn't realise he was that <laughs> worth it. He, he was told it, it was a million dollars. Well, it's actually a million a year, but... He said a million. He thought it was a million over five years or four years. But he's just got it, hasn't he? He's well, just he does. he's got a, a an eight sort of game sense, and it's so dangerous around goal. And I think it stands out more in today's footy because I think fewer players have that sort of natural football now. Exactly right. Look, I'm going to talk about Buddy Franklin later, but Buddy is almost becoming a highlight reel, and that's it. Mm. It's a great highlight yeah. reel, but not a lot of. Easy ball one, but to go, he actually does a lot of other work as well. And you know what? He kicked five goals, and the behind that he kicked when he hit the post, gee, that was a powerful hooking, <laughs> hooking kick. Let's talk about the Tigers. Now, you can't say a side that's 1 1 is in trouble, but no rants for the rest of the year. Now, no rewalt for several weeks. The thing that really. And next week, no Grimes, the, which is a disaster. The thing that really stood out, and I apologise if I get this wrong, but I, I, someone phoned in about last night on. 3RW footy nightline. Richmond, 33 tackles. Now that, um, I know forward pressure and pressure generally doesn't have to revolve around tackling because Frio did it very well a few years ago and they were a low tackling team. But Damien Hardwick could be really worried about that lack of pressure. It's in stark contrast to the footy they've played the last two years. They were chasing tail all night. Collingwood had, and they don't normally play this ultra high possession game, but they Certainly had a plan last on Thursday night to play a bit of keepings off. So there was a lot of short kicking and marking. Chris Main got involved. You'll see big numbers for Collingwood across the half-back line with Main and Chris, and then big numbers for their midfield maintaining the ball. But the inability of Richmond to force turnovers, well, Damien Hardwick said it, that it is impossible to win a game when you can't get it outside or inside. I mean, that's obvious. But to, for Richmond to force so few turnovers was almost alien to the Richmond we've come to know. Well, it'll be interesting to see their response. That's one game down. Let's move on. All right, Friday night football up to the SCG and uh, Sydney's once fortress. Boy, it's become a bit of a handicap. I think now they've lost, uh, is it seven out of the last ten there? Really good win to Adelaide in the end, in, in what was a pretty ordinary game standard-wise, I think. But Adelaide did what they had to do and, in the end, pulled away. 12-16-88, 26-point winners over Sydney, 8-14-62, 32,500 
at the SCG. Um, do you think this result said more about the Swans' potential demise or Adelaide being perhaps back? I think it speaks volumes of Swans, their deficiencies, and where their problems lie. Interestingly, the game was very similar to the one we'd seen the night before on Thursday between the Tigers and the Pies, in as much that for three and a bit quarters, the Swans were tantalisingly within... Hanging in there. A couple of goals, 15 yep. points. The scoreboard belied the game, mm. and as was the case on Thursday night, justice prevailed, and Adelaide got the sort of winning margin and comfortable break at the end that probably was a better description of the game. Look... Rowan, my concern for the Swans is the they've got this sort of flotilla of small forwards of either medium size or smaller. Now, Papley's had a good start to the season. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good when he went in there. Yep. Ronke played his first game for the season. Mm. He needs to be more productive. But I'm looking at players... Look, obviously, young Blakey, first season... We watch how he develops. He's given. He looks good. Don't worry about him. But Florent and Haywood, there is. It's a luxury to have. Well, they're treading water a bit. I feel those two. You know, unfortunately, time marches on quickly, and these very young footballers are no longer given the golden pass of first-year player learning the game, body maturing, and they they are for me too too much of the. The old mature, you know, we used to have the half forward flanker that was known to be a little mercurial, but not an, an omnipresent footballer. And the modern game doesn't allow you to fade in and out of the game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if I was isolating Sydney's concerns, they're twofold: one, the lack of pace, and two, and it's a bit of a cliche these days, but the overdependence on Buddy Franklin. Yeah, and as I alluded to in the discussion about Richmond and Collingwood. Look, Buddy, how about the goal he kicked from the boundary when he sort of sized it up? Oh, which one? <laughs> the, lo- the low shot from the boundary Yeah, but I mean, like, any time he gets a kick on the junction of the 50-metre arc and the boundary line, just mark it down. He Look, he took a magnificent one-handed sort of specky almost. Another great grab in the final quarter. But everything you see on the highlight reel is everything he's doing. He's almost, to me trying to do something brilliant every time he gets the ball. And because he is brilliant, it's coming off 30% of the time. Yeah. But we're not getting from him, or Sydney's not getting, enough possession or enough lead-up presenting marking. There's just a there's a, a, a flatness about them, which I think, if you look at the tail end of last year, was there. And it looks like a continuation of that to me. And I, I know we've done it before, but I, I, there's something sort of ominous about the way they're playing. I agree. Just a, a quick, another quick word on Adelaide. The importance of Brad Crouch. Didn't play at all last year. He just adds that extra element to their midfield um, squadron. Atkins, I think, played really well. Uh, the forward line, if there's still an if about the Crows, I think it's still that forward setup. Tex Walker, not really getting the job done. I, Jenkins, he was much better. He was better this He was week. okay. He was better. He's, he's well below again, his best. But again, that that is no guarantee that that parlays into something better next week for Tex, unfortunately. No, I thought there were some good signs from Jenkins. A couple of great goals that he kicked. Yep. Um, Lynch is the third leg of that. So, you know, if they can get that forward line ticking over again, they will be right back to where they were. But uh, pretty encouraging signs for them. 
you know who's become a very important player and an excellent player from them off the half-back flank is Wayne Malera. Yeah, yeah, no, vastly improved. And um, you throw him into the mix that they were in 2017 and perhaps it makes the difference. So, yeah, plenty of decent prospects for the Crows. Disappointing round one, but uh, certainly back in the ball game after two rounds. All right, I've been dreading this one, but I can't put it off any longer. Third game of the round chronologically and another disaster for my Don's finey. Your Saints, hats off to them. 10 goals, 16, 76, 11-point victors over the Bombers, 9-11, 65. Uh, 11 points certainly flattered to deceive. It could have been all over at quarter time had the Saints not kicked 2-7. Essendon... Probably couldn't play any worse than they had in the first half and and showed that dominated play without really putting it on the board in the third quarter. But then again, when they had the momentum, not disappeared, but were just outgunned in that last quarter. What worried me most is that after being so flat and lethargic in that round one game, they came out and played a fifth quarter like that in the first quarter. It was appalling, and I couldn't believe it. I, I I would have backed them in to really hit the ground running in that first quarter, and they just, frankly, didn't look like it. Confidence rock bottom. That was a team that was, I don't know how they felt after the pre-season, but there were warning bells going off during the pre-season where they performed poorly. In the end, if you've got a lot of players who are down on confidence stroke form, it's very hard to put together anything that looks like effort or competence. And there are players there, look, McDonald, Tip and Woody, he just, you know, did you see the mark he went for? It just went straight through his hands. He's... Yeah, but why, why is he even... I mean, what, there are too, far too many times in two games so far they've been using him as a forward target. I mean, what gives there? Uh, Langford, I know you're a fan of his, mm. um, had had some brain fades, just didn't quite click. Zaharakis, we'll I yeah. thought, was poor. He's right off. So uh, Tom Bell Chambers, beat, Tom, beaten Tom, in the ruck yeah, by Rowan Marshall. beaten by Rowan Marshall. And... In the end, St Kilda have won won two preseason games and have won two games. And this is a side that still made a few errors. But what they have tried to do is change the way they play football. And their setup is very important. And it's worked now four weeks in a row or in four games where teams are finding it hard to move the ball because of the position taken by the St Kilda half-back line. Mm. Uh, they're forming quite an effective wall there. That They're all working hard. And... I thought encouraging games, I thought Jade Gresham probably played his best all-round game for St Kilda. Well, I wanted to talk about him specifically because I look at St Kilda and certainly last year and I just thought they're very vanilla. There's nothing oh, yeah, There's yeah. nothing sparky about them. Well, he, Gresham, is the spark and he was terrific. I thought he was a, a clear best on ground and um, it's it's guys like him. And there's, we know there's several more like him who just need to go up a cog or two, but that will give them the um, sort of required level of X factor, if you like. He's a gun, Gresham. Two great marks taken by St Kilda players in this game. Everybody will have possibly seen or should see Josh Bruce's inverted hanger. It was a ripper. It was a fantastic mark and quite rare. Went back and slotted the goal. Not for <laughs> Bruce, but when big marks yeah, are taken. Yeah, yeah. It, did, it was reminiscent of... Trevor Barker. Barker over Scanlon. In 1979. It was over. Dennis Scanlon. Dennis Scanlon. It was. In fact, Barker took another big hanger at Windy Hill the year before as well. The other great mark 
was a brilliant mark by Jaron Geary when the ball was kicked into the Essendon forward line. There were two Essendon players seemingly ready to take the mark and Geary managed to sandwich himself between the two of them and elevate a bit and took a very important mark. So, How, how, did, he, how did he play generally Geary, you reckon? One word. Combative. Okay. No, it's good. I, I'm, I'm pleased to hear it because uh, after... He turns he, the ball over a bit. After his unfortunate appearance in one of the lamest comedy sketches I've ever seen in Up the Guts on Friday night, I'm surprised he got a kick at all. Mm. That was one of the weirdest... And if you oh, want no, I didn't watch it. Well, if you want to see it, check my Twitter feed, uh, Rowan underscore Connolly, and there's a retweet of that. And I don't know, it was one of those comedy, in inverted commas, sketches where you just go... What just happened there? I don't think it was comedy. Um, Maybe it went over your head. Any, well, yeah, obviously. Um, too highbrow. Just quickly, the roll call of players St Kilda are missing. Carlisle, Roberton. McCartan. Yep. Hannabury. Yep. And Stephen uh, underdone. So it's been a great start by them, and, and they were just as good in the JLT. So uh, well done, Saints and Bombers. How about Essendon and Melbourne next week? We'll get to Melbourne in a second, but uh, that game looming a season-defining, and we're only up to round three. John Worsfold, there are murmurings, and not just Mark McClure this week. Yeah, no, won't happen. But um, I will say this. I I think I understand every coach has their style, and Wooshers has always been very measured and not too overstate things, but I think there are times when you need to look like you're a bit angry, and I personally wanted to see him a bit angrier post-game. Why has your ball movement, or Essendon's ball movement, become so much more staccato and and, and disjointed compared to last year's All bravado? Right. Last word on this game, because I think, and this is totally my view, uh, and I think it's a subconscious thing, I think that when they were 2-6 and six last year, they said, OK, we've got nothing to lose. They threw every th- all plans out and let players play on instinct. They won 10 out of 14, recruited Dylan Shield and went, gee, we're a chance here. Let's overdo it. Well, not let's overdo it, but let's get really structured again. Yeah. And I think it's just it's turning into a repeat of last year and big problems for the Bombers. All right, next game. Now, uh, Carlton fans, you know, they've got used to being patient. They're 0-2. But I think it's a pretty encouraging 0-2 finding. I thought they were pretty decent in this game. You lose by 16 points to Port Adelaide, who, you know, look like they've improved a reasonable amount. 13-10-88, defeated the Blues, 11-6-72. Carlton lay, what, three points down at three-quarter time, hit the front in the third quarter. And without Charlie Kerno for the bulk of the game, I thought they were pretty brave. They were brave. Patrick... Cripps, gee, I like him as a footballer. He withstands an enormous amount of buffeting during the game. He stands up, he gets the ball out to teammates. He's a true leader at such a young age. They would have been wrapped with Jacob Wiedering, who, for a top draft pick, has had his ups and downs, and last year was omitted from the team. So, Well, well here's, here's almost the most encouraging thing that I thought, after Cripps, probably their, arguably their three next best players were Paddy Dow, Sam Walsh and Jacob Wiedering. Big investment in these high draft picks and the return <clears> is coming. Wiedering looked fantastic, actually. Mm. Commanding. So uh, how did Port Adelaide win? Brad Ebert kicks three goals. That's a big help because he's a, Might ball, three too. He's a ball winner. <clears> but to have three goals on the board by three-quarter time was excellent. The key to Port Adelaide 
is their mid. You know, they they try and move the ball, run it through the midfield, and it didn't work all night. Well, I was going to say that the cautionary tale out of this for the power is that this new attacking quick ball movement, lots of handball, that style. It's a pretty risky one to play in adverse weather. And, and no coincidence when the weather was at its most adverse in the third quarter, their game sort of went to pieces a bit and they overhandled. They were able to adjust, readjust in the finish. But just, uh, you know, you can't... I guess it's a, a, a note of caution in that you can't pursue the one-game style willy-nilly regardless of the circumstances around you. You know, Tom Rockliffe is... Back to the high possession winning endurance running midfielder that was the best of Tom Rockcliffe of Brisbane. Yep. yep. They get they're probably going to bring Ollie Wine straight back in. They reckon he can play this week. Yep. In, in round three. Hamish Hartlett's not far away. No, they've lost Jack Watts. They lose obviously. Jack Watts for the season. Yep. Carl Amon is a loss as well because he's that sort of outside run that they crave. Sam Gray played very well in the Sandful. So they do have troops coming back. And they've got Another greater string to their bow now might be the Lysette Ryder Ruck combination yeah. because Lysette was terrific. Well, it certainly it certainly um, offsets the <clears> loss <throat> of Charlie Dixon. That prior to the season, you could point to no Dixon for the first third of the season and a slow starts for Wines, Hartlett coming back from a knee injury as being an impediment. But there's no impediment because Ryder and Lysette are working well. Okay, let's move on. <clears throat> All right, Saturday night at the Cattery, Geelong, Melbourne. I've got mixed feelings about this game, Finey. Because you were on the boundary getting wet? Yeah, well, you stole my punchline. Well, mixed in that, I thought Geelong was superb from the word go. 20 goals, 6, 126, defeated Melbourne, 6, 10, 46. Slightly negative in that I got pissed on for two hours and it didn't start well. In fact, walking into the ground, Mark, I was having a final cigarette before going in and I got told off by... Um, another adult member of the crowd uh, walking in who told me that I should have some pride in myself, at which I laughed because uh, that uh, I dispensed with any semblance of pride decades ago. However, um, and in retrospect, perhaps um, stupidly, because I do have a little reserve of pride, I went and picked the cigarette butt up and dutifully put it in the bin. So whoever you are, mate, thanks for uh, telling me how to live my life. Uh, then I got told off by someone who I said excuse me to in trying to get down the steps. So they're a weird mob down at Geelong. However, their footy team, they got a lot going for them, Finey. I will expand on this in Hot or Not, but uh, speaking about more strings to the bow, they definitely have them. Fantastic midfielders, we know. Dangerfield, sensational. Kelly, sensational. Duncan, really good. Uh, more variety about their attack. Their defence is really good. And I love what they've added to the side. I'm still in my own thunder here. Go on. The post-match press conference by Simon Goodwin was very interesting. And I agreed with him. I think he might come under a, a little bit of uh, fire for saying that, yes, did you hear what he said? He said, yes, look, I, I, the scoreboard's horrific. It's a terrible result. I'm not saying it's not. But if you have a look at the inside 50s, mm. and this was a well, record. 60-something. This it? was a record. for the. Uh, they won the inside 50 count, but in the history of stats keeping, for a team that has won it by, I think, 20 more than the opposition or something, or, mm. or some interesting number, it was the greatest loss comfortably. Yeah. Now, the start of the third quarter, a coach sends his team out with instructions and they 
would have I, I, I think met his requirements to the to the absolute letter, except they could not hit the goals. They just could yeah, they were a bit unlucky. They hit the I think McDonald hit the post and Yeah. They're look they're looking a bit impotent up forward though, you know, like do do we uh, McDonald I know he's been great up forward, but Wiedemann Yes, he had two pretty good finals last year, but are we asking a lot of that as a tandem key forward combination? Yes, we are, and it's unproven. One's a backman, one's starting out in terms of football. He's very young. What we are expecting more, I think, is the opportunist goal that they're not getting. They're Mm. They're not taking advantage of a midfield that started the season very well. Clayton Oliver and Brayshaw were fantastic. Well, you know what? They've got those medium-sized goal kickers, haven't they? Like Melksham, Petrarca, etc. They haven't really got the ground-level terrier at the moment. Well, they have. Jeff Garlett. Injured, unsurprisingly. Petrarca, again, you want more out of somebody with that seemingly precocious a talent at his fingertips. Melksham has been a great performer for them. Didn't have a great night. I reckon they're looking a bit vulnerable on the outside too. They're not quick. Well, that's what they've tried to insert pace. How about the bloke? He's a Tasmanian. They only put him on the list 15 days ago. Lockhart. Yeah, he's a goer. Yeah, yeah. We'll join that illustrious band of 2,368 people to goal with his first kick. That was his first kick, I think, wasn't it? It may well have been. It must have been because I noticed I was doing the get around him stats and uh, the get around around factor was enormous. It was off the charts. Back to Geelong, though, what they have done is they've created almost an artificial midfield. I'm not being rude, but they've put guys in the midfield that are young and maybe uh, not done their their time on a flank or in the VFL even, but they do it because they want to rotate Dangerfield through the forward line. They want to keep mm. Ablett Ablet. out of the forward line. Well, they, want Selwoods. To keep, they want to keep Selwood mm. on a wing, Yeah, but they know that they can bring them in. This was not a game that was ever in doubt. So, mm. Well, the uh, constable was the pig. Constable was terrific. Yeah, I thought I thought um, Myers. Grine. Yeah, it's a difficult name to remember because it's the only person on the planet with it. Um, Grian, <laughs> odd name. Uh, he was good. Kelly remains central to their successes, He's a gun. and they are putting sometimes four blokes at the centre bounce, or Stanley, and three other blokes at the centre bounce that would have you scratching your head or looking at your football record. But that means that they've got real dangerous forwards and a brilliant wingman. So, one word: Are we? Uh, are we really worried about Melbourne yet, or are we accepting that they're still a youngish side that is prone to big ups and big downs? No, they should be have got off to a better start than this. At home to Port Adelaide, and they're considered at the start of the season to be a team heading in a different direction to Geelong. You know, they sh- they should have been two ships passing in the night. Melbourne heading towards a, a grand final, Geelong hoping to make the eight. But what we saw on the weekend was. Same old, same old. Geelong pulverised Melbourne, and it's a very bad start. Look, they play Essendon. Should we worry about Melbourne and Essendon? We'll panic about one of them come Friday at about 11 o'clock. We will. Let's get on with it. (coughs) All right, Saturday night, Optus Stadium in Perth. Uh, The Eagles got to unveil their flag against GWS. Of course, it was a rematch of the famous 2017 first semi-final between these two sides. Yes, I'm being facetious. Cannot remember a thing about that other than GWS won easily. Uh, unlike this game, which West Coast won easily. 16 goals, 8, 104, 52-point victors. In fact, doubled 
GWS to score 7 10 52. Forward line ticked over. Jack Darling and Oscar Allen, seven goals between them. Luke Shuey, absolute star as we've come to expect. Dom Sheed, he has started a season uh, full of vim and vigour. And basically. Yeah, tricky Tom Hickey. Well, yes. Yeah, going all right. Uh, I felt it was just West Coast back to 2018 West Coast. This was the one game that went to script, didn't it? Yeah. Um, oh, I don't think we'd thought they'd win by that much, did we? Yeah, Given GWS were hot in week one. I just thought that West Coast back at home, unveiling the flag. They are a very good team at home. They got had a couple of key inclusions in the side. GWS lose Toby Green. I think they were just fighting an uphill battle. And GWS have it in their DNA to, I'm not saying pull up stumps early, but that sort of loss to GWS does not surprise me. They nearly beat West Coast over there last yeah, year from yeah. memory when they had a lot of injuries too. So, um, yeah, look, I, I GWS missing the eight, which could be very wrong, but I think anyone that went overboard about them after last week's shellacking of Essendon certainly had a, a decent reality check with this one, didn't they? They did. All right, let's get on with it. <clears throat> All right, uh, Marvel Stadium Sunday afternoon, the early game, and the Brisbane Lions. Wow, have they hit season 2019 full of very good stuff. 16-11, 107-20-point winners in the end over the Roos, 13-9-87. Pull back uh, what at one stage was a, a 20 points plus deficit and uh, just poured on the gas in the last quarter. Seven goals, one. In the last quarter, to the Roos, four goals, one. It was a great win. It was a great game. Yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was good a, to watch. Yeah, it was a really good game. There wasn't, there wasn't a heck of a lot of um, pressure football. The tackle count was pretty low, I think, for both teams. But there was some exciting football being played there. By I, I really enjoy watching the young Brisbane midfield now. Mm. You see Berry ascend upon the ball. McCluggage is poised. He's excellent mix of midfielders and whilst they're not the triple premiership Brisbane team and that magnificent midfield, they do have different attributes that remind me of a Simon Black, a Michael Voss. So you've got a power midfielder that Berry could well become and you've got Black is substituted by McCluggage and I just like the way they play. I thought Oscar McInerney, well, I didn't think it. We saw Oscar McInerney's importance to the team. He was given rucking preference over Stefan Martin in the first quarter, and that was for a good reason, because Stefan's just working his way back after an interrupted pre-season. It was good to see Martin actually serviceable across the half-forward line. But McInerney bobbing up in the forward line with and those two kicked, goals and, two and could, goals. Have kicked, uh, could have kicked a third too. I think he hit the post with the third one. I think a lot of people would have thought North had seen off the challenge a couple of I times. I thought they had. And there was a key moment in this too. I know you can make too much of these moments, but it really struck a chord with me. And it was in the last quarter. And uh, I'm just trying to remember who... There was a bit of a... a big Oscar made a bit of a blue. He handballed back to a North player, got kicked out, and Ben Cunnington slipped off the leash. Yep. And Alex Witherden was nowhere near him. And when Witherden got to Cunnington... He gave Ryan Bastanak, who was responsible for Cunnington at that moment, the biggest bake of all time. And I thought about it, and because I, I thought someone was going to go, oh, that looks terrible. And I thought, 
No, good on you. You're a, a second-year player, yep. and you were given an absolute bake to a guy who's been around the scene for a fair while now, and good on you. That shows that they know what they've got to do, and even the young guys in that Brisbane side seem empowered to to speak up and, and take their own turn at leadership. So I thought that was actually a really good sign. Charlie Cameron, huge for them, and he was last year too until he got injured. The, the other... big injury was Marley Williams, who had to come yes. off, who was playing a pretty good lockdown game on Cameron, and, and he had the speed to go with him. So it was an important loss. The other guy I wanted to mention too, and we, do, we did talk about him last week, but Lincoln McCarthy. I'm so wrapped for him getting a clear run at it finally because through, what was it, nine years or seven years? It was a long time at Geelong where he just couldn't shake off the injury curse. And the Cats really, really liked him. But it just got to that stage where they thought, you know, it's a bit like Nathan Vardy. You just think... Uh, he's he's just cursed here. He's got to go somewhere else and just have a fresh start. But Lincoln McCarthy is a seriously smart footballer and a very gifted footballer, and he's he's really helped make them a better team. He's got a name like a US high school. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I like him, and I like his. Hope he doesn't get shot. Oh dear, he's got great hands. There was a player. Look, North Melbourne. I thought. A couple of times I thought they're going to take the game away from Brisbane. And one of those times was in the first half, in the second quarter, sort of five, ten minutes into that quarter. I thought North can really just break free here. And Brisbane were making a couple of errors. And Harris Andrews, in consecutive plays, did a magnificent spoil when out of position and then took a beautiful mark out of position in Ben Brown. He's a very talented player. And he had the better of Ben Brown, and he's a, he's a key to their he's key to their success. <clears throat> well, great start for the Lions, and I think a lot of people will be hoping they can keep it up. And a bit more on them later in the show. Quick word on North: Are we worried about them? I tipped them to make the eight. I thought they'd be two and zip after two, not zipping two. Yeah, they, it's a bad start for them <clears throat> because they got a thrashing, and then exactly the sort of game they would have liked to have had. Not an easy kill by any stretch at Marvel because we know Brisbane are an improving team. But if North Melbourne have designs on the eight, then this is a game when their more experienced midfield should have taken control as the game wore on. So there are danger signs because they actually lost control when they should have been asserting themselves. Need a response next week. All right, MCG, the 3.20 game on Sunday afternoon and the Bulldogs triumphant over the Hawks, 16-10, 106, 19-point winners in the end over Hawthorne, 13-9, Seven goals, sorry, nine goals, three in the last quarter after the Hawks had uh, led by 30 points at three-quarter time. Great stat with this game, Finey, in 300 and... I think, hang on, I wrote it down, 320-odd games that Clarks... 322. No, I'll try again. Over 300 games that Clarkson has coached Hawthorne, that is the biggest three-quarter time lead a side of his has ever given up. The previous biggest was 22 points against Geelong in 2019, the day Jimmy Bartell kicked the point after the siren. Um, reasons for this, uh, the Hawks were down a couple on the bench. Yeah, they had two important injuries. I mean, Liam Shields is... <coughs> Very important to them. As is Sean Burgoyne. Structurally. And Sean Burgoyne is exactly the sort of player to turn a tide. Mm. Yeah, no, big, big outs. But they got the momentum. Now, we can't ignore the controversy attached to this. So, crucial period right at the end there. James Warple got uh, 
a free kick award against him at a centre bounce for running through the centre circle when the umpire had warned him he was about to bounce it. Now, I hadn't heard of this rule, and it was clear none of the commentators had either. So, uh, and we do things thoroughly here at Footyology, I checked in with um, AFL umpires coach Hayden Kennedy, and he just recently texted me back to say, yes, that is a rule. You cannot run through the centre circle when the umpire is preparing to bounce. So we don't see that paid very often, but it was paid today. It's like they- jaywalking. They they goaled from that, and then before the ball was even bounced again, they conceded another goal. Uh, James Sicily, a uh, bit of roughhouse stuff on Josh Shackey, except I didn't think it was very roughhouse. And then Sicily got pinged again for front-on contact against Shackey and then conceded a 50-metre penalty. I think the game was already gone, but um, and you could hear it clearly over the mic too, said to the umpire... Um, what was that effing for? And He's a uh, robust type, though, Sicily. Yeah, look, I mean, in fairness to him, uh, I'm not condoning speaking to the umpire like that, but the game, at that stage, I think it was under a minute left. They couldn't possibly have won the game. So there are mitigating circumstances, I guess, for the Hawks, but credit to the Bulldogs. They really got on a roll and hadn't looked like it, but it was just uh, one-way traffic in that last quarter. Hard to believe that a team that scores seven goals can kick nine in the last quarter against the Hawks. Oh, I remember one side that did it in a grand final. Yes. Kicked nine in the last quarter after no kicking Leon five ba- to three. There were no Leon <laughs> Bakers. Just that we... A very big hello to Dermot Burrett and Robert Dippier Domenico, if you're listening in, boys. Just that Hawthorne is so, so synonymous with professionalism yeah. and it's, it's just not what you expect. There are teams that it would not surprise to see cave in, but they caved in at the end of that game. What does it mean for the Bulldogs? I'll tell you what, their high possession winners are off to a great start. McRae, Hunter. Libertore was terrific. So they pitchforked themselves into the season with a midfield that, let's be honest, over the last two years has <clears> not functioned the way it did three years ago. That all seems a distant memory after two games. It's a great start. Well, one one guy who I think, funnily enough, is sort of undersold because there's nothing sort of spectacular about him, but Jack McRae. He, he's just a no, real consistent form. And the other guy today I thought was really good for him was Matt Suckling playing against his old side. And, what, and he was he was touch and go whether he was going to play. And mm. that you can see why it was so important to Beveridge that he did pass a final fitness test. Tory Dixon played a very good game. Yep, Josh Shackey too. He, he's he's getting it together, isn't he? I think he was not bad towards the end of last year. Do you love Shackey? I love Shaq. Yeah, very good. Not bad, actually. That's not bad at all from you. Um, <laughs> We've got a song to go out with. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, yeah. Do we have to? Oh, one for the chicks. Um, <laughs> no, it was a good effort by you the... Sound like a, you sound like a DJ at a, at a flagging 18th birthday party. No, it's just one, yeah, one of those ones where you go, oh, do I have to play this? Um, yeah, no, good effort. Great start to the year from the doggies. Hawthorne, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I thought they were terrific last week. Don't worry about those two hamstring injuries. Uh, yeah, no, fair point. Yeah, could both be out for a little while. And I guess maybe depth is the concern for the Hawks this yep. season, isn't it? All right, uh, one game to go. <clears throat> now, let's be honest. If you were saying what will be the most thrilling game of the round, I don't reckon many people would have been saying it'll be Gold Coast versus Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. Um, and it was thrilling sort of in a perverse way because Gold Coast 
seem to be dominating play, but they just could not hit the targets. And in the end, finally came good when it counted. I mean, at one stage they'd kicked, I think, about 11 or 12 behinds in a row. But in the end, seven goals, 19, 61. Three-point winners over the Dockers, eight goals, 10, 58. And good on Gold Coast. I mean, a lot of people seriously thought they would not win a game for the entire season. Could have won last week, only lost by a point, and have got over the line today. Uh, I'll tell you who was absolutely outstanding for them, Jared Harbrow. Jeez, he's been a warrior for them. He just he delivers week in, week out. He was terrific, particularly in that last quarter. Look, Jack Martin was really exciting and was important for them. And Alex Sexton, four goals, and uh, he's definitely become a very pivotal player for Gold Coast. It would have been it's such a frustrating loss had they not picked Fremantle up in that last quarter. They mm. dominated the third quarter. They... Kicked, what, were, what did they kick? Nine points or something in the third quarter? Eight. At, whilst Freo kicked three They two. were three points up at half time. Then yeah. they just had six shots at goal. Three mm. or four of them were just goals that AFL footballers should get. Yeah. Point, 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 point. And then, of course, what happens? Goes up the other end and Freo get a goal. So they, they averted what would have been a most frustrating loss. I don't think anyone thought they were going to win it either, particularly when Freo went forward literally in the last couple of seconds. And a bit of uh, nice symbolism here. Who claimed the match-saving mark? Sam Collins, formerly of Fremantle. Now, anecdotally, Gold Coast supporters, they said, would be made up of the White Shoe Brigade, the Victorians who went up north to spend their last years in the warmer climes of the Gold Coast. If that's true, if they have a contingent of old Victorians who go up there to retire following the football, then surely a percentage of them are no longer with us, given <laughs> tight finishes in round one and two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wondered where you were going with that. Well, you know, their membership could be down 10% just on cardiac. Yeah, but I, I think they've become everyone's third team. After Brisbane's everyone's second team. Yeah, so. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't have second and third teams. <laughs> no, I don't either. All right, that's a wraparound for this week. Time now to discuss the highs and lows of round two. On footyology, hot or not. All right, uh, you're going to go first this week, Finey, and there's a strategic reason for this. Okay. Uh, is there? Well, I'm uh, starting with a not. No, there's not, but I'm you start, start anyway. I'm starting with a not. Not hot. Okay. A not, not hot. So is that hot? Yeah, I think so. Double negative means, yeah, okay. Mm, I don't know if it's hot, but it's not, not. All right. And that's the Etihad surface. Oh, yes. It was terrible in week one. We didn't miss out on our our pitch at it. yeah. Yeah, we gave them a whack. And when you hear that St Kilda couldn't train there for their last training session, which was supposed to be at Marvel. Mm. Did I say Etihad before? Oh, yeah, you did, yeah. Yeah, so the... the, Docklands. Marvel. Marvellous. Oh, well, Channel 7 are calling it Docklands. Are they? Oh, yeah, very tangled web there. There's some uh, incestuous sort of commercial agreement, and they their callers were deliberately not calling it Marvel Stadium. So Marvel, 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 is, Marvel, Marvel. Is Wonder Woman Marvel? Uh, I don't know. I'm not into comics. I think no, so. No, apparently not. I think I think, I think she might be. Because Dan, it, our producer and panel op, is I'm really massive worried, on comics. I'm worried if she goes to a game that I'm going to hit her aeroplane because it's invisible. Has she got an aeroplane? Yeah, it's invisible. She flies an invisible plane. Okay, get on with it. We're getting sidetracked. These weird divergences are for the Thursday edition, not the Sunday one. Not not hot 
I thought it played very well this weekend. No, fair call, fair call. It was still uh, painted. Uh, was it? Yeah, the Lord of the Grass was painted. Yeah, okay. I wonder where they get that grass-coloured paint. Grecian 2000. <laughs> That's here. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm staying with the hot. And uh, yes, this is an AFLM podcast. And if you don't like the term AFLM, I don't care, get stuffed. But it was AFLW grand final day and uh, a fantastic occasion for women's football as a whole. 53,034 people at Adelaide Oval, the uh, biggest attendance ever for a women's sports event in this country. And the Crows just did what they have done the entire season. They somehow lost the first game by one point to the Bulldogs, but they have rattled off eight wins in a row and just been a class above everyone else. And they just did it again, bowled over Carlton. All the usual suspects, Aaron Phillips, Ed Marinoff, Chelsea Randall, Daniel Ponta and Hatchard. There was tragedy and pathos as well. Aaron Phillips gone down, did an ACL. But the reception for her as she came off, and it was fantastic to see, finally, as she got put on the motorised cart, all the Carlton players coming across and sort of wishing her well as well, and then standing ovation, and then when she came back around the boundary line to be there at the end, another big ovation. Um, 53,000, though, that is a significant moment in Australian sport for me. I think I've watched this AFLW season closely. I've been doing a podcast for 3AW. Uh, I would have watched it closely anyway, but I think absolutely no doubt the standard has improved vastly. I think the interest is there, and I think those who continue to gripe about, oh, what would the crowd be if they had to charge and that sort of stuff, you know, you're dinosaurs. This is a growing phenomenon, and uh, get on board or get left behind. Hats off to AFLW. I can give it no higher praise than my own team of supports in Kilda Fields at AFLW team next year, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll be there. I guarantee you I'm watching AFLW Saints. I'm looking forward to watching St Kilda play. Yep, you're up. Okay, I'm going to go for a hot, and it is Lockie Neal. Now, Lockie Neal has moved... The longest flight in football, isn't it? It is. From Perth to Brisbane? Yeah, it is. And it was, uh, the spot was made available. When Dane Beams left, it was a necessary fill. But a lot of people criticise Lockie Neal at Fremantle for being a high-possession winner, but not a, not a penetrating footballer. Mm. Well, if you watched his game today, certainly in the first half, I think he was the man that meant that there wasn't a tipping point that Brisbane couldn't come back from because he and on a number of occasions, actually, won balls that were contested balls or intercept balls. He really read the game beautifully. And the best thing about Lockie Neal was that in the last quarter, when an, another effort was required, as is often the case with players who've already had 30 touches, they start to peter out. But he was there for the final push and got them over the line. I thought it was a great game, and I look at him, I view him in a very different light. Well, just on that criticism of him at Fremantle, I think it's become a very fashionable thing to do. Um, and you'll notice that it's always the criticism of high possession winners is always when they're in a losing team. Remember the day Ablett had, I think, 53 against Collingwood at the MCG, and it was sort of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, he's not effective, you know, who won the game? Well, you know, now Neil is in a side that's playing better footy than the Frio side he was part of was the last couple of seasons, and you see that effectiveness. Well, and is anybody suggesting Clayton Oliver didn't play well on 
Saturday, Saturday night, night because he did play well. He yeah, got 40, he got forty plus. Touches. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of sheep-like mentality in uh, football observation, finally. But yep, good call from you. Uh, I'm going a knot here, and it's uh, it's with a heavy heart I do this. You mentioned my um, sort of man love for Kyle Langford and or the Langford as he's known. I thought. The second half of last year was the making of Kyle. I thought uh, big body midfielder started to win a lot more possession, started to use it really constructively, and I thought it was this was going to be the year we saw the best of him. Look, it still might be, but it hasn't got off to a great start. Um, 18 touches against GWS didn't impact the game enough. Three fewer yesterday, but... When you're talking about clangers, and I'm sure everyone's seen the footage, uh, that moment late in the first quarter where first Mac Welfy ran off through the interchange gate and poor Kyle, I don't know what he was thinking, but he certainly wasn't looking at the ball because a free kick had been paid to St Kilda and uh, Langers should have been standing on the mark. He didn't. He just kept running through the interchange gate, whereupon Jack Loney took off uh, aided by two teammates, and the Saints had a free run in towards goal. So it was a very embarrassing moment. Um, I'm sure Kyle will be suitably embarrassed by it. But uh, that aside, he, and look, he's far from the only one, but he needs a big lift. Uh, it's time for you to step up, Kyle, my boy, and be a big part of that Essendon midfield. You mentioned Matt Guelphie. Whenever I see Matt Guelphie, I ask, Think where, of the Matt o- Damon. I, I ask where the other three are. He looks like he's from a boy band. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's you know singing harmonies. And yeah, no, he does. He's got. Uh, he's he should be on. He should be like on a, on a windswept plane. Just mm. three, four boys. Yeah. no instruments. Yeah. and music. But looking away from the camera when yeah. they take the album shot. Yeah, like Faith Plus One in South Park. Correct, that, uh, that's right. Christian Rock Hard episode, which <laughs> is one of my favourites. Uh, all right, he went myrrh. Yeah, yes. <laughs> That's a great episode if you haven't seen it. Uh, my not hot. Oh, hang is... on, sorry. Can I do? Can I just? Yeah. You know, they so they go to Christfest two thousand and three, and uh, the way they sneak on stage is to shut the um, the Christian rock band yes, in the do. cupboard. Yeah. You remember when they they the way they get them into the cupboard is by saying, "Let's pray first. And the guy bursts into song. He goes, "Send down from heaven the spirit and the glory." <laughs> It's a great episode. <laughs> All right, go. Uh, <laughs> some of those songs about Jesus. Okay, back to football. And Party not... of Christ. <laughs> Party of Christ. <laughs> Party of Christ. Oh, gee, we've got too much. We're, you know we're adults. Yeah, apparently. Okay. All right, come on. All right. All humour aside, my not hot is I, I do not want to have to wait a minute after every goal. Oh, yeah, for the TV coverage to come No, back. it's not the TV coverage now. It's a minute is given to set the 666. You so, sure it's not for the TV coverage? Because no, there was one down be, Geelong last night where they were waiting for it. always used to be for TV. You know, yeah. We're waiting for TV. But no, this is now absolutely... I mean, they're not waiting for ads because some games are done by Foxtel alone and they have no ads. So <laughs> there's no ads. That's a good point. It's a minute to reset. Don't give them any ideas. It's a minute to reset. Yeah. And they're just standing there. Everybody's in the right position. Yep. Uh, how are you? Yeah, good. <laughs> What's up? I'm just waiting. Um, 15 more seconds. Oh, like, what boots are you wearing today? Okay, we're back on. We've, we're noticing a lot of convivial conversations between players out well, the Well, they've film, now though. got time to do it. Yeah. Some of those minutes are for, Sometimes, you know, if the ball 
isn't kicked into the crowd. Mm. You know, sometimes it's a little kick. It goes straight back to the middle. This 40 seconds is a long time for 18 people just to stand there being watched by 30,000. Well, whatever happened to the good old days when, like, Ted Whitten played his first game on Don Mopsy Fraser from Richmond, and he said, oh, hello, Mr. Fraser, and Mopsy said, you get a a touch, I'll kill you. Yeah, that was Daryl Griffith's first game. It was on Bluey Shelton. Ah, yeah, similar thing. Well, Bluey Shelton Shelton said to him, um, Daryl Griffiths did something good, and he goes, don't do that again until next week, young fella. <laughs> and he turned around and asked him what, and then he woke up in the rooms. <laughs> ah, great. All right, uh, final hot from me, and uh, I feel like I, I suffered for the art last night down at the Cattery, but very, very impressed with Geelong. Uh, I thought they were looking a bit pedestrian towards the end of last year, to be perfectly honest, and I thought they might scrape into the eight. Look, they still might. We're two games in, but they're looking really good so far. I uh, did mention this off the top. I, r- I really like their increased forward pressure. I think Tom Atkins isn't a guy you would have thought would made a huge difference, but he definitely is. He's a tackling machine, that boy. I used to actually, his father, Mick Atkins, I used to work with on the age back in the late 80s before Mick, I think he went to the Herald Sun, then he got out of journalism altogether and went and ran a fish and chip shop. So good day to you, Mick, if you're the listening. Atkins diet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it uh, specifies lots of batter. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Tom Atkins has been really impressive for him. I think Dalhouse is really adding something with that forward pressure. Parfit, we know, is pretty good. Or, sorry, if you're a Fox footy commentator, Brandon Parfit is good. We know that. Sorry, they say that all the time. Yeah, he has. There's just more variety about them, more strings to their bow. So they kicked 20 goals six last night. They had 14 in the individual it was goal a kickers. Very good effort. Yeah, it was. And it's still, um, you know, a lot of seniority, of course, up the top end. But they fielded six players last night who went uh, into that game between them with 21 games experience. So uh, they've got some really raw kids in that side, um, but it's all coming together well for the Cats at the moment, so great stuff for them. Did you see the post-match interview with Asafa Radicalia? Uh, I did a post-match interview with Asafa Radicalia. We spoke to him just after he TV. He such a breath of fresh air. He really Very just well spoken. Beautifully spoken. Yeah. Country boy, said he, he, you know, really happy to play for Geelong. A little bit country, a little bit city. And he just he just loves getting picked and playing footy. Yeah, he said, "What's he goes? I'm being, you know, this is what I'm doing for a living. It's great." Yeah, yeah, no, really impressive guy. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, and he could be a great player for him too. Yeah. All right, there's our hots or nots for this week, and that means it's time for on footyology, the rant. All right, uh, I think you should go first this week, Finey. I'm going to count you in. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, three, two, one, rant. If I was sentenced to some long term of imprisonment 15 years ago and came out today, pardon me, came out today to see football, not having seen it for 15 years, I'd be in fits of laughter pointing my finger at the foolhardy things that footballers now do and have to do as part of the new rules of the game and the image, the improvement of the game. Could there be any more stupid sight than the one we were privy to today or on Sunday at Marvel where a 50-metre penalty comes with the bonus that if you make contact with the defender running backwards, you might turn it into a 100-metre penalty. 
Well, how's this for the Keystone Cops moment of the year? Can't be beaten. Ben Brown takes a mark 50 metres out. Oh, uh, sorry, 80 metres out and gets a, a 50 metre penalty. He starts racing after the defender who is backpedalling to the mark, hoping to have some contact with him. He fails to win another 50 metre penalty. He then has to walk back 50 metres because of his long run-up to take a shot of goal. A shot of goal. If that's not the most stupid sight you've ever seen in football, then maybe this one will tickle your fancy. Ruckman have to have one foot in a circle before they take off for the ruck in what is looking like a, an odd version of Twister. Now, I'll tell you, if you're over 18 and playing, playing Twister, you should be naked and in a swingers group. There's no room for grown men to be playing that game. One foot in, one foot out. It's a little bit of ring-a-ring-a-rosy. We found out today that you're not allowed to run through the centre circle. I think they should make it electrified or do something to it so the next person who dares walk in front of an umpire gets barbecued rather than gives away a free kick. Add that to players meandering out of the square to take kick-ins and the game is barely recognisable. That is, unless you like a good laugh, which now comes during the game and not afterwards, as Rowan alluded to earlier. Very good. Very good. Do you think that's a reflection on Ben Brown or the umpire? Shouldn't Ben Brown be aware that he has a relatively long run-up? Is that not the most stupid? <clears throat> it looked pretty it silly. comical. He it chased was. after somebody yeah. who was trying to get away from him. And then ran like, back. It looked like sort of a, a schoolyard game of... We need the Benny Hill theme music. Yeah, but it, was, it wasn't even Tiggy. You know, germs no returns. <laughs> so it looked like he was germs no returning. <clears throat> and he didn't. And he, the umpire said, no, no, it's all clear. Put the player on the mark. And then Ben had to jog back 50 metres to take a kick, which, of course, was a point because he'd run a stupid 100 metres. All right, very good. Okay, I'm ready. You going to count me in? Yes, I will. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, do it. Three, two, one. I'm pissed off about Brisbane, Finey. Who do the Lions think they are becoming everyone's second favourite team? Bloody upstarts, that's what they are. Geez, we let them have their three flags in a row only 15 years ago. That should have been that. We let them go and stuff up their recruiting, pick up Fev when he was a cot case, go broke, start trying to run a circus instead of a footy club with real lions running around the Gabba, and yet here they are again a few years later with an inspired choices coach, some of the most exciting kids in the competition, trading in the right players, and playing the sort of footy that actually drags people through the gates. None of this was supposed to happen when we set up the Bears 30 plus years ago. They were supposed to be a joke. Why do you think we gave him that jumper with a koala on it, portable dressing rooms, Scacy as chairman and Dave Sullivan as CEO? Then we come over all guilty, so we overcompensate, let them grab Lee Matthews as coach and win the first hat-trick of flags for more than 40 years. Now everyone's in love with Chris Fagan and his kids, McLuggage, Rayner, Berry, Hipwood and Big Oscar. What about the really needy clubs, Finey? Carlton and Essendon. Brisbane's been up, down, down, up. Up, down, now they're up again. All since the Blues or Bombers last got a look at a Premiership Cup. What's the point of having the most arrogant fan bases in the competition if you've got nothing to be arrogant about? 
Actually, that's not quite true. You can't surpass the Bombers' interchange rotations at the moment, Finey. Look how disciplined and focused they are, running past the temptation of the football to make sure they don't piss off the fitness staff by coming off the ground a microsecond late. That's the sort of cutting-edge sports science, and in Carlton's case, creative accounting, which have made the last couple of decades such a phenomenal success for the traditional powers. And bloody Brisbane have got to upset the apple cart by going and developing kids and actually letting them play inspired, attractive footy that even wins games. Dave Sullivan wouldn't have stood for it, Finey, particularly after Scacy buggered off to Mallorca. Dave would have looked meaningfully at his loving wife, stared down the lens and said in his best baritone, Damn this AFL, Grace. Crawford production. <laughs> Very good. Did Great. that bring a tear to your eye? Oh, it was, I can't think of that, hear that music without thinking of the Hey Hey It's Sunday parody of it. I never, don't think I saw yeah, it. Yeah, you know, with Ozzy Ostrich dressed up, you know, they were dressed up like oh, Dave and his Grace Sullivan. Yeah. I just, when you were reading that out, you were spot on. I was thinking of Fagan sending his young boys out to ah, steal games of football. Oliver Twist, very good. Pity he doesn't have Clayton Oliver to pick a pocket <laughs> or two. Well, as we know, Fremantle now have got a Hogan and a Schultz. Work. Well, they played together. Yeah, it didn't work. You know what? You know they what need they, Clink. You know what they got out of the game? <laughs> what? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, very, very good. Okay. If I you think- don't watch TV. Yeah. You probably don't understand this program. Or if you're younger than 50. But uh, (laughs) never mind, just laugh along with us. You get the general idea. We're funny even up the guts anyway. Uh, Quick plug for our uh, very good friends at Andrew's Hamburgers. Well, don't worry about up the guts, in the guts, with the best (laughs) hamburger in Melbourne. One with the lot there is old-fashioned, brilliant burgers, Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street. Big news coming up in the next week or so. A weekly prize, lunch with, well... Two big burger eaters, Connolly or Fine, and a big thanks to Nick Spartel and Co. They are builders to the stars. Pendlebury, Heppel, oh, poor Heppel, and, and Mike Sheehan. Two out of three ain't bad. I think the Bombers better go after Sheehan. Um, <laughs> all right, thanks for uh, listening, everyone. Hope your team won. If they didn't, hope they get a win next week. We'll be back on Thursday, of course, with our Round 3 preview edition. Keep logging on to footyology.com.au for all the best reviews, previews, analysis going around. Finey's final siren now a integral part of the Footyology website, and you'll be following come 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, won't you, Mark? You bet I will. And yes. I'm sharpening my pencil as we speak. Very pleased to hear it. Um, now, we're going to leave you with a musical uh, uh, epilogue every week. And we did mention the Christian Rock Hard episode of South Park. So I thought appropriate that we go out with this. We'll see you later. <laughs> Body of Christ. Body of Christ. Body of Christ.